All right. So Eric Templin, how are you, man? Good to see you. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Spencer. I, I, this is a pleasure, and I genuinely mean that. Uh, I think you know, I'll get into our history in the background, and uh, you know, to get a chance to sit down with a guy that taught me self-funded, and, and obviously started this eight, nine-year journey now to, that has culminated in a podcast about self-funding. This I don't is, know if I, this I is an honor. You, I helped enable, but uh, you facilitated the introduction to bit, it. Whatever yeah, you, whatever yeah. you want to call it, man. But it's, it's really a pleasure. Appreciate you joining me on the show, and I'm excited about our, our conversation. Oh, I'm, today. I'm grateful to be here. It's been a lot of fun, Spencer, to to see how this uh, uh, this has grown and, and yeah. all the followers you have, and some of the great guests you have. So I'm honored to be a part of it today. Well, you're going to be one of the top ones, man. Okay, I, I'll tell you that in advance. <laughs> but um, so I know we're obviously going to talk about self-funded. We'll talk about Hayes Companies slash Brown and Brown. We'll talk about strategy, all the cool stuff, um, the kind of the meat of the conversation. But I think to start, my my favorite thing to do to set the tone for the podcast is. Let's humanize the person that I'm sitting across from. Yeah. Let's learn about you, your some of your backstory, your work history, family life, anything you want to share. We'd love to kind of hear who Eric Templin is before we get into self-funding. Yeah. Well, that could take a while. That's why um, well, I've allocated 10 <laughs> minutes like you saw. So let's do it. Yeah. You know, um, just, just a little bit about just, uh, you know, me personally. Yeah. I am the father of four children. I've been married for almost 21 years now. Hasn't really been. Uh, yeah, yeah. I tell everyone I got married when I was 16. Yeah. So, you know, uh, no, but I've got four <laughs> beautiful children. I've got three teenagers. I know. You, when you told me that, I, my, I, I anticipated yeah. it's been longer than I thought, but I couldn't mm -hmm. imagine. Yeah, yeah, I remember when them, they were very little. So, teenagers now, three teenagers. Three teenagers, a senior in high school, preparing for college, a, a junior, a seventh grader, and a. And our little guy Ty is uh, is in is in first grade. But so. he's not so little anymore. He was seven years old. You said he's eight. eight. He's eight. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, I remember baby Ty. So that's that's how long we've we've known yep. each other. Yep, that's fun have. to fun to watch it uh, grow. And you've always been a, a great family man, a great example. So as somebody from afar watching that, uh, appreciate what you've done in, in that regard. No, I appreciate it. And I, I think the reason I start with that is because that, uh, that that's kind of the real joy of my life. I mean, I love what I do professionally, um, but you find find real joy, purpose, and happiness you know, with your loved ones and your family. So I've got an awesome family, wonderful children. Um, and that's where it all starts. Cool. Well, so that's, that's you, the family, right? Eric, yep. the family man. And I think I, I knew that you would always prioritize the family, <laughs> even over all your accomplishments in your career. But let's learn about kind of where you we grew up, where you got started in this industry. Like what was that? What's this journey been like for you to get to where you are today? Yeah. So, uh, gosh, I got it. There's just a, a long story there. Right. But, uh, I did grow up in Texas. Um, primarily through grade school, was over in Europe for a few years, and uh, then went to, uh, to school at uh, Brigham Young University right in, in Utah. Um, and, uh, you know, shortly at that time when I was at Brigham Young University, I actually started a uh, almost like kind of like an internship. It was a part-time position for a company called Ingenix. Okay. And Ingenix is, is, was a subsidiary of United Healthcare. Okay. Uh, they are now called Optum Insight, I believe. So I started there as just this uh, kind of intern sales assistant, uh, working with the team, was uh, still going to school, uh, married at the time. And uh, that's where I was kind of introduced to, uh, I guess, self-funding, yeah. right? So um, so really, I, as on an internship job, almost, you were introduced to self-funding that early. That's, that's really cool. So what, yeah. was, what was it like when you say self-funding back then? What well, were we well, talking about? Well, what was interesting is so at Ingenix, we licensed data to uh, carriers and providers, and they used that to set their fee schedules or what they were going to reimburse. Okay. But then I also um, was responsible for renewing our claims editing software, uh, CES. And okay. so claims editing software, we would license that to unions, to have Hartley plans, and, and they were basically self-funding their plans. They had indemnity networks. 
There was, you know, no uh, Buka yeah. network associated yeah. with it. And they used our usual and customary data to set what they were going to reimburse. Uh, and then they just processed and paid their own claims. Now, that's that's a long time ago, right? I mean, with with where healthcare is gone, you can't just pay any claim, yeah. you know, these days. So uh, that, that dynamic has changed. But that's where I was introduced to, I guess, the term self-funding. Okay. And it really, really intrigued me. Uh, and, uh, and then that morphed into ultimately, um, having an individual approach me and ask me to come work for his brokerage. It was a smaller brokerage called Intermountain Benefit Administrators. Okay. Um, that was purchased by uh, another company and another company that eventually became Maritain Health. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah okay. it became Maritain. And so, um, you know, we were, uh, kind of a broker's broker and then at Maritain was, uh, uh, I guess promoting Maritain services, but I did that for just a short period of time. I realized very quickly that I wanted to be a consultant, okay, um, and and I wanted to bring other options and solutions, um, the best of what we have out there to our clients. And so that was going to be limited in doing that, um, just an individual carrier or a third party administrator. Yeah. And were you in the Denver market at the time? I was. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was. What, what brought you to Denver? Was it that particular it job? Was that, it was that okay. position. Yeah. Just so a, you were just a phone calling call on brokers just like, you know, I've been doing for the number of years and selling the TPA services uh, or? Yeah. So it really started, we, we were a broker's broker. And we worked with groups about 50 to 500, and okay. we were the self-funded specialist. Okay. So we built these employee benefit plans, and you know, I spent a lot of my time going out to rural Nebraska and Kansas and Wyoming and uh, the western slope out in western um, Colorado, uh, a lot of cities, uh, school districts. Um, great people, loved it, uh, but uh, we, were, we were somewhat limited in what we were what we were doing. And then we became Maritain Health. That model changed okay. where we weren't necessarily working with the brokers. We were now, um, we, well, we weren't a broker anymore. We were now a third party administrator and I was a carrier rep. Okay. And, and, and Maritain was great, great organization. Uh, just felt that there was more for me and felt that uh, I wanted to bring other solutions and uh, you know, kind of like a physician. A physician can prescribe all these different types of medications, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to prescribe a lot of different medications and I'd be very limited at one well, and so I've, I've been that, that been in that yep. uh, world. Obviously, I've been in the carrier world. I completely understand, right? You feel you can do one thing, and hopefully you can do that one thing really well, but then you start to have to do that one thing kind of That's over right. and over and over again, and you start going, well, what else can I do? I'm, I'm limited because I sell one carrier's product or I sell one single solution. And if you have aspirations to do a little bit more versatile style uh, solution-based work, then that you start going, okay, th this maybe this isn't the, the world for me as well. And some people do it for a long period of time and they do fantastic at yeah. it and they're happy just being masters of that particular domain. But I was just thinking, well, I also want to, uh, you know, diversify the things that I know and understand. And I think that also comes back from the origins. And when we'll talk about when I started learning self-funded under under your wing is there's more than just stop loss. Even though I love stop loss more. to death, there's so much more than that. And that's what makes it exciting. Um, so at Maritain, of course, you've got more, a little bit more, uh, uh, I guess, aware of what is possible in the consulting world. And so is that what led you to Hayes was the next that's stop? That's exactly or? what okay. led me to Hayes. So um, I made the decision that I wanted to, um, you know, be a consultant. Um, I, you know, we say brokers, brokerages, we're consultants, mm -hmm. you know, we're out there finding solutions for, for employers. And that's what I wanted to do. So I interviewed with a, a number of different uh, uh, brokerages and in Hayes was where I, where I went in late 2008. So um, at that time was, I know what you did obviously when you came down to Texas, but at that time in that marketplace, were you having the same type of conversations around self-funding um, that you did here? Or yeah, was it a yeah. little bit so different? With, with, with Hayes and the, 
you know, the Denver market, uh, there's a lot of small to mid-market employers, uh, very similar demographic that I was I was working um, at Meritain. Of course, I had a non-compete and wasn't going after any of those former clients. So I basically was picking up the phone, making calls. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a producer and had to go out there and, and find my own prospects. Yeah. And so I uh, was very, very fortunate with the help of uh, some some wonderful mentors there, Joe Long, Eric Rosales, uh, who are still with uh, Brown and Brown today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they were wonderful mentors to to me, and I was able to build a very successful book of business there, uh, which ultimately uh, gave me the uh, allowed me the opportunity to uh, come down here to Texas, where I, well, that's I grew ask. up, yeah, yeah, and, uh, and open open an office for Hayes Companies back in 2011. Yeah, so when they initially approached you about the idea, I'm sure it was exciting, probably a little bit, you know, nerve-wracking thinking of opening an office on your own. Knowing you, though, I'm sure you 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 dove in headfirst to, to do that. Well, but, it, it actually it was actually me that approached them. What really? Oh, yeah. even, oh that yeah. makes even more yeah. sense now. Okay. Yeah, so I approached them and, and I love what we were doing in Denver, but I felt that there were some other things we could be doing. And I didn't want to um, the organization was great. I loved who I was working with. I didn't want to compete, mm-hmm. uh, you know, against them. I felt this would be the best opportunity. And my goodness, uh, here we are, you know, Hayes, a top 20 broker in the country, and we don't have an office in Texas. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here thinking, Texas, that's 10% of the population in the United States. Yeah. We should have an office in Texas. And so um, once I put my mind to it uh, and I put together a business plan, they're like, well, what do we have to lose? Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess the rest was history. So... Yeah, and so what was that, 2010 maybe? That was 2011. 11, okay. So August of 2011, moved down here, and then we officially um, opened our doors, if you will, uh, January of 2012. Okay, and so January 2012. 10 years ago. Was it? Wow, yeah, yeah it was right 10 years ago. The decade, uh, yeah. oh, happy 10-year anniversary of starting the office. So <laughs> was it just you uh, by yourself at the time, or I forget who? So it was uh, me for a handful of months. Okay. Uh, you know, I had, I had clients that I was renewing in Denver. Okay. I remember having 17... These are all, you know, mid-market employers, but 17 January 1st renewals. And I was very involved with renewing those clients. Um, And uh, Dale Brickert uh, joined me uh, the end of November of 2011. Okay. And uh, and so then we started just, I guess, putting the rest of the business plan together and, um, you know, getting ready for 2012. And, uh, you know, just some of the, the various strategies that... That, that I felt would be very effective down here. Yeah. Um, and so we started to build that out and then started, I guess, peddling services and making phone calls <laughs> and putting together seminars and events uh, starting January of 12. So you guys were doing seminars all the way back then? Uh, oh, yeah, that's how we started. Was I, it really? Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I, one of the things that, um, I, I guess over the years in this industry and even very early on, I learned that, um, you know, strategy defines cost. Okay. Strategy defines cost. It's not so much the, yes, there's self-funding. We know that there's savings there. I mean, I worked with, you know, Great West, uh, and we, we had that level-funded product. It worked with fully insured products, but the strategy that defines the, um, the cost. And so, you know, with, 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 with that in mind, um, I wanted to educate the market on strategy and, and felt that if we took the approach of educating versus selling, um, educating them on self-funding, educating them on on opportunities that they could, you know, improve the overall cost of their health care, that that would be the approach that we would take. So with that premise in mind, um, that's that's the approach that we took with events that we started. I say events. 
I don't like using the word seminars because you hear seminars and no one wants to well, you think, come to uh, a seminar. Yeah, right? you think like um, a <laughs> motivational speaker yeah. or something like that. But, so we, I mean, so a seminar, maybe not the right terminology. Edu educational event. Well, and that's exactly there what we they go. were. And so we were talking off, off the podcast, yeah. but that's when I obviously was coming over to join Hayes myself. And in the interim of that two-week uh, notice that I put in with, with Benefit Mall, you invited me to a seminar. That's right. And uh, yeah, I, I don't, maybe my mind that, wasn't that, that blown. They got me hooked, though. To, to say that my mind was blown, it was kind of like almost sudden this part of uh, insurance that I didn't know existed, the world was opened up to me. And so I remember going back and talking to some of my colleagues in the finance department and telling them, hey, guys, have you heard of the self-funding stuff? And I could barely articulate what it was at the time, but I knew enough to go, that's cool. That it combines numbers. It kind of combines strategy. There's an art to it, which I kind of like. Which how put, how to so. put it all together. Yeah. And so the mixture of kind of who I am or who I aspire to be, it, it combined a lot of those elements. And you know, as you can see, obviously, I I got hooked on it. Um, that's great. Pretty pretty uh, se severely. But you were a big part of that. And so um, I learned under your tutelage, of course, which which is really fun. But just sinking in, it took me three to six months, I would say, to really fully grasp, right? You you get terminology here and there. But then once you started to see, well, this part moves over here and this is how you put it together. And then this is what a plan looks like. And you go, oh, you know, that's when the light bulb, it took about six months. And then then you get it, right? And then you feel like you're comfortable talking about it. Did you have a similar kind of ramping yeah, up well, period? I, I, think, I think for me, um, it was, you know, with a self-funded plan, you design your plan. Mm -hmm. You know, you design what's best for your organization, for your employees, for your team. Uh, and um, so you put that strategy in place, whereas in your fully in the fully insured world, you know, you've got so many plans to choose from and, and that's it. Right. And so as I saw employers implementing um, the, these plans that you couldn't get from a fully insured carrier, uh, having success, lowering costs, um, again, a different strategy to created a different cost curve. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is great. Yeah. Now, can I start working with larger employers that are larger than 50, 100, uh, you know, a lot of our clients were 50 to a couple hundred employees and yeah. we were doing partially self-funding, yeah. you know, um, but, but felt that I could do that on a larger scale. Uh, Texas obviously is a really large market. Mm -hmm. A lot of big employers down here. I mean, an employer with a thousand employees is a dime a dozen, mm -hmm. right? So um, that was part of the intrigue to take what we were doing with smaller employers mm -hmm. And, and do that on a much larger scale. So I, I was going to ask you that question, but I assume I already kind of know the answer. I, I feel like the marketplace was was likely very receptive to to the the strategy. Did you feel though you were still having different conversations with employers than maybe their current brokers were having? Did that play into your ability to win business early on? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that really benefited us is I mentioned education, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're educating on what's really driving costs, and, and costs aren't necessarily driven just by the 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 the, the plans that you offer. Um, it's not driven by the number of plans or which carrier with. We say the strategy, it's the plan design itself, the contribution, and then who enrolls or doesn't enroll in your plan. Mm -hmm. And so as we start to have those conversations with employers about, look, you have this large waiver population that's not electing the plan. Um, look how you designed your plan where you've inherently invited more risk on your plan, thus putting you in a higher cost curve. Mm -hmm. So as we started talking about those things, not just adding an HSA plan, you know, uh, putting in a wellness program. Mm -hmm. we, we weren't talking about that, but rather let's talk about the structure of how you've designed your plan and your contributions to either invite or not invite certain individuals, employees and dependents enroll in your plan. And that was a very different concept, yeah. you know, for employers down here. Um, I think even today. I still uh, think it, it's what well, I, I mean, it's not yeah. like I hear that that discussion is prevalent. And I talk to a lot of brokers 
Um, I'm sure some other uh, folks are doing their own spin version of that. But to me, that was one of the, the, the things that I really latched onto is like, there's a behavioral element of this. That's there's right. a, what does human behavior look like? What does it look like when presented with multiple choices? Who's going to choose what? And how does that impact the cost of the plan? You know, it, some of it, it takes a leap of faith to go, I believe this will work. Yeah. Now let's go test it for two or three years to ensure that it is working and then we can prove it. Um, so I'm sure there was somewhat of a leap of faith with some of those employers early on that I get it. I trust you and let's go do it. Um, but once it started working and I, maybe you saw it work prior to the move to Texas, did you feel like this sense of, okay, now we're, now we're here, now we planted our flag and we can replicate this and repeat this process? You know, it wasn't easy. It wasn't I, easy. I don't I doubt mean, it wasn't it, easy. It, yeah. it, it took a while. Um, but but re what's really benefited us over the past, you know, seven or eight years now is having case studies, mm -hmm. having employers who have had a lot of success. Mm -hmm. and, and it starts with, it starts with, um, you know, your plan design, your contributions, as we refer to risk pull management, yes. right? It's that's where it starts, but there's so much more beyond that. Um, we're, I'm very much concerned about, you know, which carrier networks, um, what strategies, population health management programs uh, that they're, that these employers are, that our employers, our clients are utilizing. But but we're going to do that after we first address who's enrolling in the plan. Mm -hmm. And so again, that was just a very, very different concept for employers. It made a lot of sense. Um, to them. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think a lot of them did take a leap of faith that or we just begged for their business. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever you have to do early on. I mean, I That's get it right. though, but it's because it was such a unique, I think, subject and because it was such a completely different way to look at how to attack uh, claim spend. Um, yeah. That's why I think it worked. And that's why I obviously uh, gravitated towards it. And yeah, I've got to do some of the reporting and put the pieces together to show a little bit of the ROI. Um, but it, to me, it just there's a lot more than you can do in the space than shop carriers or That's change right. TPAs or my network has this discount versus this discount. You're really treating symptoms. You're not really treating the the drivers of the cost. And so that's what I'm fascinated in is yeah. like, what is it, what is this human being doing to potentially make choices that implement or that cost the entire plan more money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's exactly right. So before $1 is incurred on the health plan, someone made a choice mm -hmm. to either enroll or not enroll. And then based on the design that you have in place, they make a choice of how they're going to utilize it. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about utilization drives cost. Yeah, utilization just, just drives cost, um, but it starts with choices of how mm -hmm. individuals use it or whether, again, they're even enrolled in your plan. Mm -hmm. And so that's really where we start the conversation. Um, and uh, and we it's the same message that we had, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, we've just now taken it to the next level mm -hmm. with a lot of experience, great case studies. Um, and, and we've got great partners and vendors and, uh, you know, now part of, of Brown & Brown, even a, a, a greater network yeah. of, um, you know, options and strategies that we can bring our clients. So it's it's been a fun ride. Well, yes, yeah, so you don't necessarily have to radically change your strategy um, just because it's been going on for a certain period of time. Just like us, we're you're always fine tuning. We use the term evergreen in software. Right? right. You're always fine tuning. You're always uh, uh, you know, adapting to new variables that are presented, but the core function of what you do remains the same. Um, That's right. But I think you always like you uh, knowing you as a leader. You're always thinking ahead of the next two or three years down the line and what's going to come up and how do we position ourselves to be prepared for changes in the market yeah. looking ahead. I, I want to shift gears a little bit, if you don't mind, because I got my first exposure to sales um, coming on renewal meetings and prospect meetings with you. And so I want to talk. You probably to, came on a few sales meetings too, I'm sure, didn't you? Not prior no? to, no, okay. not never been. I was in the finance and QA okay. team. I was, I was hunkered away in a little uh, cubicle or an office for my time there. So really that was the introduction. That yeah. was part of the choice to come over, right, as being more customer facing. 
interesting and yeah. I was attracted to that. But I watched kind of that sales process play out for you and got to witness some of the techniques and the way they ask questions. Where did your sales experience come from? Can you talk about how you got, how you developed those skills? Because they're clearly <laughs> you have them. So, so where did they come from? Well, I think, I think number one, you just recognize that people are people mm-hmm. and that, and that it, you know, they've got to like the individual that's sitting across the table mm-hmm. from them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the, the approach that I've always tried to take is we got to be likable and we got to, I've got to be me. We have to be us, right? We can't try to be something that we're not. Um, I, I, I really learned that. I think I mentioned I was, uh, I don't know if I mentioned or not, but I was over in Europe for a couple of mm-hmm. years. So um, I was a missionary for our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I was over in Switzerland and Germany and Austria for two years from the age of 19 to 21. Okay. Um, I learned German. I learned Swiss German. Um, you know, you go there for two years and, and you don't date. Um, you, you, you call home a couple times a year. Okay. And uh, yeah, you knock a lot of doors. But you do a lot of service for individuals. Okay. Um, but I was speaking to individuals who, you know, were 15 years old to 100 years old, right? And, and doing a lot of teaching and then teaching in another language as well. And so I, I think for me, that experience was so valuable uh, that I've never had any fear of speaking to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've always, because of that, realized that I, I, we had the most success as, as missionaries when we were just ourselves, yeah. you know, and, and we didn't try to, um, you know, fluff anything and just kind of said how it is. Mm-hmm. And that's the same approach that, that we, we take in the sales process is ask questions, yeah. understand um, really, you know, what, what an employer's challenges are and, and not have this standard PowerPoint deck that we're going to present to them. Yeah. It's just let the conversation go where it's going to go. So, you know, a typical meeting would be asking some questions and then, okay, well, I heard two things. I heard this and I heard this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, how about we address those two items? We'll do a little free consulting today. You know, it might be a first meeting is like that. And, and that's it. And we're not even really talking about who we are as an organization. Maybe they came to one of our educational events. Um, maybe we did call them and ask if we could present our services. Um, but we're just addressing some of their concerns. And then they get, a, 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 I guess, a vision of what it would be like working with us because mm-hmm. we're consulting from the very first sales meeting. Yeah. You know, and we're never selling. We're consulting and educating. And so um, that's what I attribute a lot of the success to is, is educating versus selling. Uh, and uh, the minute they, the minute you start selling them, they feel it, mm-hmm. they feel it. And then you're not as likable. <laughs> so. Well, but cause you, you feel it when you're being sold too. Totally, my, my totally. guard goes up the second I feel somebody selling Absolutely. me something. It yep. doesn't matter if I need it or not. If soon as I feel, get the sense I'm being sold too, I don't want what you're selling me. And so I, I agree with you completely. The consultative, the listening, the educational approach is something I've always tried to infuse into yep. what I do because when you get sold too, you don't want it, even if it's going to be a great solution for you. And people tend to be less receptive and stop listening at the same time. And that's one thing I did learn from you is the asking of questions. Yeah. Um, which what kind of why like now I ask questions all all, all the time. <laughs> but um, I felt that you could learn a lot more about what they need. You can learn a lot more about their problems. You could also you make them feel important, right? Because you're talking to them and you, you're listening to what they have to say. And then of course you pick up on things that are important that they're saying that you can discuss. But they end up being really the the center of attention, if you will. And I think a lot of people, of course, like like that as well. But they don't feel like, oh, I, I left and that guy talked at me for an hour and I have no idea what he did. And I didn't really like him, like you said. And yeah. I'm never going to answer his phone call. <laughs> well, yeah, I think the other thing that that, that approach um, breeds is 
it, 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 again, we talk about the likability factor, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I think that's such a huge thing. You have to like who's sitting across the table from you, especially as a broker consultant. Mm -hmm. So I think that they, they feel that, okay, this person didn't come in and sell me at all. Um, but, but the other piece to that is, uh, they, they, they just get to know what it would be like working with us. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I just think that makes a, makes a difference. Um, you know, we, we typically, uh, over the years now, it's been different the last couple of years, uh, you know, not being in person for as many, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, meetings with employers. Uh, we would use iPads and we use these iPads. Uh, and again, there's no preconceived pre presentation. We got a lot of different documents out, out there and wherever the conversation goes, then we address it. Mm -hmm. And in, in, when you walk out of, of a first meeting or a second meeting with an employer, and they see you didn't have a canned presentation. You actually, you listened, and then you addressed those items, uh, and that's all you did. Yeah. Then it just it just moves that process forward so much uh, quicker. So I felt like that uh, really helped spur a lot of our success. I mean, um, our approach um, even today is, you know what? If we don't do our job, let us go. You know, so we got to come in, we got to prove ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's been a big part of our success is doing free consulting, doing analysis, um, sh I guess, demonstrating what the opportunity could be. And hey, give us a shot. If yeah. we don't do our job, then let us go. And fortunately, we've been able to do our job very well. And we've got a lot of great clients. Well, see, that's why you, you position yourself. And I've heard this term uh, a number of times over the years you lose business the way you win it, right? And if yep. you're winning because your ideas are better, you're consulting in a better manner. Well, if you lose because of that, which is probably a much rarer occasion that somebody out consults you, um, then you can maybe it's easier to accept than, hey, so and so took me to a nicer baseball game or a better golf course or something to that effect. Yep. Then you go, okay, well that's well, we can do those things. You too. can do those things too, but, but those are the kind of that's the low hanging fruit, right? Anybody can do that type of stuff. It is, and I don't think that's what employers are looking for. They're looking for uh, a broker, a consultant to come in and challenge them, mm -hmm. challenge their thinking. And it's challenging their thinking that that really piques their interest mm -hmm. and, and really gets them engaged with you. And then they get excited about the analysis and excited about what you're going to deliver to them. Mm -hmm. and, and so, um, yeah, they want to be challenged. And, and yeah, it's important to have, you know, good relationship and go to a Mavs game or do some of these things. Um, but that's not how we built our business here. We built our business and challenging the status quo, challenging what maybe other brokers or consultants were doing, challenging what the, the carriers and the marketplace is doing. And that was refreshing mm -hmm. to employers. It's still refreshing to employers mm -hmm. today. Um, and then self-funding, of course, being a huge component of that because that is the vehicle to allow you to have uh, be able to employ the strategy, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. you can design well, whatever you want. Yeah, the control, right? And that, I think that's one thing that I gravitated to so much is you know, I can shop, uh, you know, not to pick on the names, but I can shop a Blue Cross or I can shop a UHC or a Cigna fully insured plan. Yep. I can maybe move a deductible or copay around and shift costs here or there or shift it over to my employees. But you haven't really solved anything. You've just, it's yeah. a shell game a little bit. And, but then you look at self-funding and the levers that you can pull there. It's like you open up a toolkit and there's a thousand tools in there instead of one. Um, and that's what I loved about it is like it could literally everything that you do strategy wise could be adapted to that individual's employer's needs and you have a toolkit that's able to service that specific subset of that's right that's right and and i think you know as a i call myself a self-funded expert i mean i've got had a lot I'll of experience a, expert, a lot of experience yeah. over yeah. the years um but it's it's tough work you know it'd be really easy just to prescribe you know as a physician goes out and 
you know, prescribes a, a, a generic medication, right? Um, a Z-Pack every day for every single, you know, different mm -hmm. infection. But there's a lot of other different medications out there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we're physicians in that we have to know everything, mm -hmm. um, but, but very specialized. And um, when you're a specialist uh, in self-funding, it's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's a lot more work. It'd be easier just to put fully insured plans on the table or level funded plans all day long. Those are very, very simple. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to recognize that uh, self-funding is not, not easy. Uh, not anyone can do it. Uh, and you've got to have an employer uh, that, is, that is really willing to make changes um, and, and really open uh, to, to, to other strategies. Because again, if you continue, if you were to move to a self-funded plan with the exact same plan you have today, you might get a little better results, but you've got to change that strategy. Yeah. It's a strategy that defines cost. And I say that over and over and over again. Well, I'm going to be, I'm going to leave here and have that repeating <laughs> in my head. I like it though. The strategy yeah, defines cost, but I'm, I'm with you there. And I noticed it, especially when I was back in the stop loss world where people would fixate so much on two or 3% of oh, premium. Goodness. Well, two or 3% of premium was maybe eight to 10% of the total plan spend. And you've got this entire piece of the pie over here that you've completely ignored. And all you can do is really shop the stop loss carriers and benchmark them against each other to compete. That again, that's a symptom treatment rather than- uh, It's a necessary evil. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're, But that can be a part of it without being your sole strategy, right? And so getting people to, to wrap their heads around like, what about that 60% of your cost that's coming from claims that is addressable by behavioral change or by strategy? That's right. That's Focus right. on that, and the other part of that will come along. The premium is simply a function of the risk itself. It so, is. Yeah, and so fix the risk, the premium will follow suit. And the, what, what's the main part of the premium? The claims. Mm -hmm. exactly. The claims drive the premium. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at most of the large group plans we work with, it's probably closer to 80 to 95% um, of their total plan yeah. cost is yeah. claims. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got some clients that it's 1% uh, is, is their fixed cost and in 99% is claims. And so that's where you want to focus your time. That's where we've tried to focus our time. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, we, we want to get competitive stop loss. We want to get competitive administration, um, but it's employing the right strategy to control claims costs yeah. is really where the opportunity is for any self-funded employer. And so how is, you know, and I, I obviously know you from Hayes, you were really instrumental in helping build out this office, but talk to me about the transition. You said it's been since November 18 now, Brown yeah. and Brown acquisition. And now I'm getting used to you being a Brown and Brown employee instead. I'm still getting used to it You're too. Still, you know, and I saw a number, I told you a number of yeah. your team members on LinkedIn got, uh, you know, title changes or promotions, which I love the fact that they're rewarding your team for a successful job prior to the acquisition. But what, you know, how has your life changed? How has the strategy changed? How have the resources grown? Like, tell me about that shift going up under their umbrella. Yeah, yeah. So we were acquired by Brown & Brown in November of 2018, but we maintained the Hayes name mm -hmm. up until a week ago. A week ago. <laughs> week it's really ago. that fresh. Okay. So, yeah. so now it's officially Brown & Brown. Okay. We had, you know, Hayes part of the Brown & Brown team, uh, but now officially um, Brown & Brown. And so, um, you know, the beauty of this is, is Brown & Brown, we're now the fifth largest. We're the fifth largest insurance consultant in the country, okay. um, sixth largest in the world. Um, but we function, at least our office, it hasn't changed as far mm -hmm. as how we work with our clients and the strategies that we employ. Um, we have more resources. We've got some terrific 
population health resources, uh, benefit technology resources. Um, we've got a few vendors um, that, that we own, I, I guess you would say, that we're able to, um, uh, to, to, to use with our clients. But uh, more than anything, what I appreciate is that Brown & Brown recognizes that we were very successful uh, at Hayes in promoting a strategy and a different way of thinking and they want us to continue that. Yeah. And so really um, part of the, uh, I think the reason for the acquisition is we had large uh, employee benefit expertise. And, and Brown and & Brown, again, a $3 billion um, organization today, you know, at the time, I think we were um, not even um, 2 billion. So it's grown significantly even the last three years. Uh, but 70% of employee benefits was groups under 100 employees. Okay. And so they really looked to us as, okay, you guys are the self-funded experts. You're working with mid and large group employers. Um, we need you. We need uh -huh. you in here. Yeah. And so it, it's, been, it's been terrific uh, that they have accepted um, our approach, our strategies, and, and, and really wanted us to integrate that across the organization. So um, Brown & Brown's a wonderful organization led by Pal Brown. Our head of retail is Barrett Brown. So when it says Brown & Brown, we're Brown & Brown. It's literally Brown & Brown. Through and through, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so again, public organization on the New York Stock Exchange, but we don't function that way. Yeah. Um, we don't function like some of the other big houses. Yeah, we're large and we have all the resources, but in the way we're kind of a mom and pop in how we treat our clients, but bring superior strategies yeah. you know, to the table. So um, it's a lot of fun that we get to continue that even with the Brown and Brown well, name. Well, I'm, I'm gonna be a little bit disappointed, like come to the office, the new office space, and the color palette's gonna be different because I know you spend a lot of time in designing yeah, that and yeah. the haze color. I love that your well, we color. We still have a lot of blue. We okay, a lot of blue, a lot of blue but yeah. the, the color palette was very variable and so it was nice. <laughs> it, 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 the aesthetics were great. Um, but you know, this is what the business is all yeah. about, right? The business changes. Of course, um, people are always interested in successful businesses that have established a brand and you know, aggregation and acquisition, whatever you wanna call it in our spaces, an inevitability of that, especially with private equity money. But That's right. I imagine though, at the end of the day, if I were to sit down as a fly on the wall in one of your meetings, it would be conducted in a very similar fashion in the way it was done seven, eight years ago. That's um, right. Same, same way, right? Just different, different name on the business card. That's uh, right. That's right. It really, really hasn't changed. It, like I said, if anything, we have access to more resources, more support. Um, and, uh, you know, Brown and Brown's very innovative mm -hmm. in what we're doing. We've got some really exciting um, new innovations that are going to be coming to the market in the, in the coming year. We're not we're not just a broker um, and do a lot more than that. And so that's why I'm excited to be part of this organization. And, and uh, we're flourishing and growing. Um, I couldn't be happier that we, we joined Brown & Brown. You just never know. You yeah. never know what you to never expect, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, it's been a wonderful marriage. Well, I'm happy to hear that. And yeah, that's a good segue into kind of the future of this business, right? Not only future, maybe some exciting things you guys are doing, but I always like to get a sense of what is the future of self-funding look like? What does the future of healthcare look like? And I'm sure you get all the time, you have point solutions or other services that you're introduced to that sound great or innovative, but what are things that are getting you excited about healthcare, maybe being able to add to your uh, toolkit for that strategy that you discuss so much? Well, I mean, we're... Um you know, we're seeing technology uh, play a huge role. Um, I, in my opinion, it should have been playing a greater role years ago. Uh, but, you know, we find ourselves not just going to carriers and getting quotes, not just reviewing claims data, um, but it's our processes, our procedures. It's the benefit administration process that we that we manage. And so as I look forward for most broker consultants, that's a must. Mm -hmm. um, we have to be benefits technology experts. Um, 
we, we, we've got to be very savvy in that area and, and, and not just a broker who goes and gets quotes and, and brings them back. So that's what employers are expecting. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for, for us, uh, you know, and you and I have worked together, you at PlanSite, and I love what PlanSite um, is currently doing, what you've, you've been doing, um, and really excited to see where you guys continue to go because I think what you're doing is where we're going as far as to ease the administration Mm-hmm. and efficiency yeah. um, for, for brokers uh, to, to better manage their clients, um, how they go to the, how they approach the markets, um, even to help improve pricing and cost overall. So um, love what you guys are doing. I really feel like that's a huge part of where we're going. The hard part, Spencer, is just the adoption. Yeah. You know, you've got, you've got uh, some carriers that want to adopt a process where, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they share this quote, it goes onto a platform and goes into a spreadsheet, you know, and, and then there's others like, no, we want to send it to you and you got to manually put it in. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and that's just, that's a way of the past. That's got to change. Um, love what you guys are doing. And I think that's going to be a big part of our future. Well, I think you, you speak of this, the behavioral change that that's always been the biggest obstacle for us is not necessarily does it work or is it a great idea? Is, is the industry going to adopt? And it's been interesting over the last couple of years, early stages, you're really introducing them to something new and they're very resistant, right? Or they want to, I'll do it, but reluctantly do it. Now we're seeing it kind of flipped a little bit where the carrier market's going, hey, we think this actually is going to stick and this is going to work. So rather than us be resistant to it, how do we adapt ourselves to this new model of doing business? Because at the end of the day, they want to do what's best for their broker partners, their partners of theirs, but also they know long-term this is going to create efficiencies for us. So not just us, but there's other entities out there, of course, and there's other solutions with that similar aim. But for whatever reason, this particular space has been one of the last uh, bastions to, to adapt technology. Right. And it's strange, right? Because you're looking at the process and not, whether it's the RFP or other parts of what you guys do, why is technology so slow to be adopted in the broker industry? Maybe you have some insight there. I'd be curious. Uh, but it just seems like everybody knows and everybody agrees that it's a really labor-intensive manual thing. But then there's a reluctancy, of course, that, like, do I actually want to change the yeah. way I've always been doing it? Well, I, I think, I think we're, we as broker consultants are going to have to change. Um, our, our role, we, we talk about claims, especially when you're working with mid to large group employers, is to, to get into the claims data, mm-hmm. to understand what's driving costs, um, to evaluate other solutions out there. And if we're stuck in the monotony of some basic administrative um, you know, tasks yeah. that represent a very small piece of the cost, like we talked about, it yeah. could be 1%, yeah. it could be five or 10. Um, that takes us away on focusing on the most important piece of the pie, which is the claims. And so we have to have better efficiencies there for us as consultants to to really help our clients. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm seeing it. We're progressing. It's getting better. Um, but but it, it, it's got a long ways to go. Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit more broadly then. Let's yeah. talk healthcare more broadly, the the industry, right? We You always hear every couple of years, depending on the political whims, right, like of whether or not we adopt a single payer type style system, if that's truly the answer to this, if there's a hybrid model of some sort. From your perspective, more broadly, how is healthcare going to change in the next couple of years? You know, I really don't think it's going to change that much. Okay. Um, we say a couple of years, two or three, maybe five years or beyond. But, you know, right now it's a fight for talent. And because it's such a fight for talent, um, employers want to offer richer benefits. Mm-hmm. And so um, our role as broker consultants uh, to put together very competitive employee benefit packages is more important than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if anything, um, cost is always a factor. I don't want to 
try to say that cost isn't a factor. But when you look at employee benefits that's tax preferred versus just paying someone's salary, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Employers are looking at that saying, wait a second, let's improve our benefits. We'll spend more on benefits um, to be able to compensate for some of these other things. So um, I, I see over the coming years uh, that, that employers are um, going to want to continue to improve their benefits. Mm -hmm. um, if anything, stay more stable and not necessarily try to take more from the employee or, or shift costs to the employee, at least mm -hmm. not for mid to large um, employers. Um, you know, I, I think we're going to have to wait till the next presidency and until we really uh, maybe have another, um, you know, proposal on the table mm -hmm. um, or things change. I just don't see things changing over the next couple of years very much. Well, it, it seems like it's been going on ever since I've been in the industry, right? There's this talk about this and they've, I think they tried to implement it in Colorado and it got I forgot how many years ago, but they voted it down almost two to one, uh, some sort of uh, public health care style system yeah. in Colorado. Um, and so it seems like it's always this this thing that's a couple years out, but never actually comes to fruition. I, I am a proponent of the private sector. I think we will solve it. That's I think self-funding is a big yep. part of that. It's just spreading the word and the message of that. I do want to ask you, I'd be remiss if I didn't get a chance to ask you, reference-based pricing. I don't think you and I have ever talked about this. No. And that is a buzzword that comes up all the time. And I know it has worked in pockets of the country, but can you give me your perspective in the Texas market or maybe even nationally? What do you well, think I can about give you some, that? Some, some yeah. good perspective yeah, because we've taken yeah. on clients that, that were in um, RBP, yeah. you know, RBP, RBP, yeah, reference-based yeah. pricing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we use a lot of acronyms in this yeah, industry, don't yeah. we? Uh, and um, I, I will tell you, those clients that were in reference-based pricing agreements, um, we've actually moved them away from reference-based pricing agreements. Okay. And they're running better than they were before. And let me explain why. Yeah, yeah I'd love to hear why. Yeah. You know, reference-based pricing, why, why does someone put reference-based pricing in place? Well, their healthcare costs are out of control. They're not doing it because they want to offer better benefits okay. to their employees. Okay. Um, you know, with a reference-based pricing plan, there's a lot of, lot of challenges for employers. Um, you've got providers that may not accept, you know, um, their services. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's why you have ELAP and some of these other firms that are behind the scenes um, that, that help, I guess, uh, negotiate with the providers and help prevent some of the conflict okay. that can, can happen. Yeah. So um, with that, uh, what, what happens over time that we've seen with reference-based pricing is, is, yes, the employer is going to immediately cut costs by 20% maybe, mm -hmm. um, but employees don't like it. And employees uh, many times get balance billed. Now there's obviously changes mm -hmm. that are happening with that right now. Um, but you see the risk pool over time, the individuals enrolled in the plan change. Mm -hmm. and, and you see those healthy individuals um, say, well, I'm paying, I'm paying this amount for, for this plan. And, and, and most of these reference-based pricing have higher deductibles, at least mm -hmm. most of the ones that we've worked with. Um, you know, there could be an indemnity network. There could be other networks they're associated with. Uh, but, but, but really, let me, let me go back yeah. to, 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 to state this, that large claims drive costs. And that's the way, whether in a reference-based pricing arrangement, you're in a standard PPO or HSA, whatever arrangement it is, large claims drive cost. And, and that's what we really see with these reference-based pricing plans. And so as you start to lose over time, because employees are very disenfranchised okay. with the challenges that they have. HR professionals are very disenfranchised mm -hmm. with the administrative challenges mm -hmm. that they have, um, that you start to lose some of the healthy. And so as a result, the healthcare plans are not spiraling out of control, but they're having to pass more and more of the cost onto employees. They're having to raise premiums. They're having to raise deductibles, but you still have the large claims that are driving all the costs. Yeah. 
Well, do you envision a way? Is there a way in your mind that it actually is uh, a good strategic play? Is there a certain, I, I, certain I, if that? we could somehow um, have full transparency <laughs> with, with provider, yeah. um, you know, pricing and have that where you where, where employees and dependents had that in their fingertips and they knew exactly where they could go at what price, that would be a game changer. Yeah. It just doesn't exist. It doesn't truly exist in a reference-based pricing arrangement. Okay. There's several that are trying to do it, yeah. um, but it's it's very challenging for all employees across the country to get the care they need. I can give you a time after so many countless examples of employers been turned away under reference-based pricing arrangements, yeah. and then when they're coming to their employer and our plan's horrible, and then you you know it starts to spread across yeah. the organization, yeah. and when right now. One of the most important things for these employers is to recruit and retain reference-based pricing. Again, it's going to save it's going to save the bottom line at least that first year. Yeah. But but it's not necessarily lowering trend. Okay. You know, trend's still there because what does a reference-based pricing do to affect the trend, the medical trend? It does nothing. Mm -hmm. it does nothing. Yeah. Other than just maybe cut out some costs the first year. Yeah. Right. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. And I, I love I love the idea. Right. At least we have a reference point that is a lot more seemingly appropriate as to pricing, because the other side of that, of course, is these private contracts between providers and the payers. And nobody really knows what the bill charges will be until afterwards. And then there's a discount that's applied, which who knows where that discount is derived. I think people can at least go, all right, well, I know that Medicare is supposed to be this and I'll add X on top of it. That makes sense to me. It as, makes a lot as of a sense. a pricing mechanism. I totally agree. Uh, yeah. And so I, I'm, as somebody that's really neutral in this regard, like I want to get both sides of this. That's the tough thing about this position sometimes is you get one side and then you have to wait to ask the other side. Maybe we'll start fostering. Well, I, I think, I think the, the, where you really get the answers is talking to the employers. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense. And so you could talk to myself as a broker. You could talk to another broker that's a big proponent of reference-based yeah. pricing. And they're going to tell you, oh, it's great. And we're telling you, ooh, I mean, if we have the right tools in place, yeah, let, let's work with it. You know, but um, we're just not finding that they're there. And so, again, if strategy defines the cost, and we say strategy, I refer to um, the plans that you offer, what you're charging your employees, um, and, and then based on that plan design, you have different behaviors of how people choose or utilize their health care. That's what's really driving the cost. Yeah. Right. And so if that's the case, um, is reference based pricing arrangements really going to get us to where we need to go to to to, to lower costs you know, over time, maybe one year, yeah. but not over time. Okay. And so that's what we've experienced in working with our clients. Um, not to say they can't work. Again, I, I am in 100% agreement with you that it just makes sense that there's a certain price for healthcare services. Right. Uh, but, you know, there, there's so much power <laughs> between um, the, the, the carriers, the providers, um, and a lack of transparency that we, we, we're getting more transparent, but we've got a long ways to go uh, before we can really say it's transparent. Yeah, so until we get yeah. there... I don't know that reference-based pricing can can truly be a sustainable strategy for an employer. And I say sustainable, multi-multi-year, maybe one or two years. But and for some employers, that's all they need. Mm -hmm. They need to make a change. They got to save they costs. They need something now. Now, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. so totally understand that. And some of the clients that we've brought on, that's the position they were in. But now in this new environment, it's I've got to recruit and retain and, and what's what, what's one of the best recruitment retention programs? Great benefits, yep. right? Yep. And so if you can then, in turn, come in with a low deductible plan, um, free co-pays, uh, lower the cost that's coming out of their paycheck, 
which is what we've been able to do with the plans that we've designed, that is so attractive, so attractive. And it's not driving costs up. Well, how's that possible? Yeah. Well, that's what we do. Well, that's what talked to Brown and Brown, and that's yeah, what you that's find right. out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so let's land this thing, Eric. I know we got to get you on your way, and I think we've been close to uh, an hour or so. So, well, what's uh, what's kind of the last thing um, that you'd like to leave the folks with? You know, let's let's sum up our conversation today, and of course, also let folks know where they can reach out and get a hold of you as well. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think first and foremost, I really enjoy what I do, um, it, it, and and. I, I, you know, my passion, I'm sure it shows, shows through, it but yeah. I really enjoy what I do. We are helping employers um, save a lot of money, uh, but al also improve the health of their employee population. So um, I, I think as a broker consultant, that, that's one of our primary responsibilities. It's not so much uh, just saving the employer money, cutting costs. Uh, we should be focused on improving the health. Um, and if we can improve the health by offering uh, you know, better uh, plans that make it easier to access care, yeah. which is a huge part of our strategy. We want to make it very accessible for employees and their families to access care. That if that that is a preventative program, right? That's mm -hmm. probably one of the best preventative programs you can you can have is just making it easy for individuals to go to the doctor. Uh, and and so uh, we as broker consultants need to be more cognizant of that. And I don't know that we are. We're so focused. I think on uh, you know this carrier, this vendor, mm -hmm. this strategy, um, and we've got to get back to just uh, you know open the doors to creating plan designs that invite individuals to go just for basic utilization. Right. That's not driving the cost, Spencer. We both know that, mm -hmm. but but you want to have a physician relationship, and that's my biggest concern is with a lot of the the plan designs uh, that we have in place and, and kind of what's been promoted over the uh, you know most recent years. Um, it, it, it's not about access to care. Yeah. It's about, hey, let's let's give someone some money and and, and have this higher deductible health plan, and hopefully they go out and mm. they're good consumers. And we just haven't seen that work. Yeah. Uh, and so, well, that's almost acting like a deterrent to care, right? Like, yeah. don't don't get care, and here's all these different impediments in order to to receive the most basic of care, right? And that delayed, you you know what the delayed onset oh, yeah. of care does to to claims. So I appreciate that, and I think if anything. Uh, strategy drives cost will be, you know, perhaps a little clip I cut up. I'll have to make sure that we include that strategy in. Strategy drives cost. It does. That's right. So, Eric, again, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so yeah. much for joining me. Thanks for testing out the new studio this with me. Great. It's pretty pretty amazing, isn't it? And um, just as one man and another, thanks for introducing me to Self-Funded as well and starting me on, on this path. No, and congratulations on, on this. This is phenomenal. I uh, will continue to follow it. Thanks, Eric. I uh, look forward to, to, to listening to future guests. And, again, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Okay. Thanks, thanks my friend. All right, man. Okay. See you.